Section 26 of The Common Reader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Common Reader by Virginia Woolf. Joseph Conrad. Suddenly, without giving us time to arrange our thoughts or prepare our phrases, our guest has left us, and his withdrawal without farewell or ceremony is in keeping with his mysterious arrival, long years ago, to take up his lodging in this country, for there was always an air of mystery about him. It was partly his Polish birth, partly his memorable appearance, partly his preference for living in the depths of the country, out of earshot of gossips, beyond reach of hostesses, so that for news of him one had to depend upon the evidence of simple visitors, with a habit of ringing doorbells, who reported of their unknown host, that he had the most perfect manners the brightest eyes and spoke english with a strong foreign accent still though it is the habit of death to quicken and focus our memories there clings to the genius of conrad something essentially and not accidentally difficult of approach his reputation of later years was with one obvious exception undoubtedly the highest in england yet he was not popular he was read with passionate delight by some others he left cold and lustreless among his readers were people of the most opposite ages and sympathies schoolboys of fourteen driving their way through marriott scott henty and dickens swallowed him down with the rest while the seasoned and the fastidious who in process of time have eaten their way to the heart of literature and there turn over and over a few precious crumbs set conrad scrupulously upon their banqueting table one source of difficulty and disagreement is, of course, to be found where men have at all times found it in his beauty. One opens his pages and feels as Helen must have felt when she looked in her glass and realized that, do what she would, she could never in any circumstances pass for a plain woman. So Conrad had been gifted, so he had schooled himself, and such was his obligation to a strange language, wooed characteristically for its Latin qualities rather than its Saxon, that it seemed impossible for him to make an ugly or insignificant movement of the pen. His mistress, his style, is a little somnolent sometimes in repose, but let somebody speak to her and then how magnificently she bears down upon us with what colour triumph and majesty yet it is arguable that conrad would have gained both in credit and in popularity if he had written what he had to write without this incessant care for appearances they block and impede and distract his critics say pointing to those famous passages which it is becoming the habit to lift from their context and exhibit among other cut flowers of english prose 
He was self-conscious and stiff and ornate, they complain, and the sound of his own voice was dearer to him than the voice of humanity in its anguish. The criticism is familiar, and as difficult to refute as the remarks of deaf people when Figaro is played. They see the orchestra. Far off they hear a dismal scrape of sound. Their own remarks are interrupted, and, very naturally, they conclude that the ends of life would be better served if, instead of scraping Mozart, those fifty fiddlers broke stones upon the road. That beauty teaches, that beauty is a disciplinarian. How are we to convince them, since her teaching is inseparable from the sound of her voice, and to that they are deaf? But read, Conrad, not in birthday books, but in the bulk, and he must be lost indeed to the meaning of words who does not hear in that rather stiff and sombre music with its reserve, its pride, its vast and implacable integrity, how it is better to be good than bad, how loyalty is good and honesty and courage, though ostensibly Conrad is concerned merely to show us the beauty of a night at sea but it is ill work dragging such intimations from their element dried in our little saucers without the magic and mystery of language they lose their power to excite and goad they lose the drastic power which is a constant quality of conrad's prose for it was by virtue of something drastic in him, the qualities of a leader and captain, that Conrad kept his hold over boys and young people. Until Nostromo was written, his characters, as the young were quick to perceive, were fundamentally simple and heroic, however subtle the mind and indirect the method of their creator. They were seafarers, used to solitude and silence. They were in conflict with nature, but at peace with man. Nature was their antagonist. She, it was, who drew forth honor, magnanimity, loyalty, the qualities proper to man. She, who in sheltered bays, reared to womanhood beautiful girls, unfathomable and austere. Above all, it was nature who turned out such gnarled and tested characters as Captain Whaley and old Singleton, obscure but glorious in their obscurity, who were to Conrad the pick of our race, the men whose praises he was never tired of celebrating. They had been strong, as those are strong who know neither doubts nor hopes they had been impatient and enduring turbulent and devoted unruly and faithful well-meaning people had tried to represent these men as whining over every mouthful of their food as going about their work in fear of their lives but in truth they had been men who knew toil privation violence debauchery but knew not fear and had no desire of spite in their hearts. Men hard to manage, but easy to inspire. Voiceless men, but men enough to scorn in their hearts the sentimental voices that bewailed the hardness of their fate. 
it was a fate unique and their own the capacity to bear it appeared to them the privilege of the chosen their generation lived inarticulate and indispensable without knowing the sweetness of affections or the refuge of a home and died free from the dark menace of a narrow grave they were the everlasting children of the mysterious sea such were the characters of the early books lord jim typhoon the nigger of the narcissus youth and these books in spite of the changes and fashions are surely secure of their place among our classics but they reach this height by means of qualities which the simple story of adventure as marriott told it or fenimore cooper has no claim to possess for it is clear that to admire and celebrate such men and such deeds romantically wholeheartedly and with the fervour of a lover one must be possessed of the double vision one must be at once inside and out to praise their silence one must possess a voice to appreciate their endurance one must be sensitive to fatigue one must be able to live on equal terms with the whaleys and the singletons and yet hide from their suspicious eyes the very qualities which enable one to understand them conrad alone was able to live that double life for conrad was compound of two men together with the sea-captain dwelt that subtle refined and fastidious analyst whom he called marlowe a most discreet understanding man he said of marlowe marlowe was one of those born observers who are happiest in retirement marlowe liked nothing better than to sit on deck in some obscure creek of the thames smoking and recollecting smoking and speculating sending after his smoke beautiful rings of words until all the summer's night became a little clouded with tobacco smoke marlowe too had a profound respect for the men with whom he had sailed but he saw the humour of them he nosed out and described in masterly fashion those livid creatures who prey successfully upon the clumsy veterans he had a flair for human deformity his humour was sardonic nor did marlowe live entirely wreathed in the smoke of his own cigars he had a habit of opening his eyes suddenly and looking at a rubbish heap at a port at a shop counter and then complete in its burning ring of light that thing is flashed bright upon the mysterious background introspective and analytical marlowe was aware of this peculiarity he said the power came to him suddenly he might for instance overhear a french officer murmur mon dieu how the time passes nothing he comments could have been more commonplace than this remark but its utterance coincided for me with a moment of vision it's extraordinary how we go through life with eyes half shut with dull ears with dormant thoughts nevertheless there can be but few of us who had never known one of these rare moments of awakening when we see hear understand ever so much 
everything in a flash before we fall back again into our agreeable somnolence i raised my eyes when he spoke and i saw him as though i had never seen him before picture after picture he painted thus upon that dark background ships first and foremost ships at anchor ships flying before the storm ships in harbour he painted sunsets and dawns he painted the night he painted the sea in every aspect he painted the gaudy brilliancy of eastern ports of men and women their houses and their attitudes he was an accurate and unflinching observer schooled to that absolute loyalty towards his feelings and sensations which conrad wrote an author should keep hold of in his most exalted moments of creation and very quietly and compassionately marlowe sometimes lets fall a few words of epitaph which remind us with all that beauty and brilliancy before our eyes of the darkness of the background thus a rough-and-ready distinction would make us say that it is marlowe who comments conrad who creates it would lead us aware that we are on dangerous ground to account for that change which conrad tells us took place when he had finished the last story in the typhoon volume a subtle change in the nature of the inspiration by some alteration in the relationship of the two old friends it seemed somehow that there was nothing more in the world to write about it was conrad let us suppose conrad the creator who said that looking back with sorrowful satisfaction upon the stories he had told feeling as he well might that he could never better the storm in the nigger of the narcissus or render more faithful tribute to the qualities of british seamen than he had done already in youth and lord jim it was then that marlowe the commentator reminded him how in the course of nature one must grow old sit smoking on deck and give up seafaring but he reminded him those strenuous years had deposited their memories and he even went so far perhaps as to hint that though the last word might have been said about captain whaley and his relation to the universe there remained on shore a number of men and women whose relationships though of a more personal kind might be worth looking into if we further suppose that there was a volume of henry james on board and that marlowe gave his friend the book to take to bed with him we may seek support in the fact that it was in nineteen o five that conrad wrote a very fine essay upon that master for some years then it was marlowe who was the dominant partner nostromo chance the arrow of gold represent that stage of the alliance which some will continue to find the richest of all the human heart is more intricate than the forest they will say it has its storms it has its creatures of the night and if as novelist you wish to test man in all his relationships the proper antagonist is man his ordeal is in society not solitude 
for them there will always be a peculiar fascination in the books where the light of those brilliant eyes falls not only upon the waste of waters but upon the heart in its perplexity but it must be admitted that if marlowe thus advised conrad to shift his angle of vision the advice was bold for the vision of a novelist is both complex and specialized complex because behind his characters and apart from them must stand something stable to which he relates them specialized because since he is a single person with one sensibility the aspects of life in which he can believe with conviction are strictly limited so delicate a balance is easily disturbed after the middle period conrad never again was able to bring his figures into perfect relation with their background he never believed in his later and more highly sophisticated characters as he had believed in his early seamen when he had to indicate their relation to that other unseen world of novelists the world of values and convictions he was far less sure what those values were then over and over again a single phrase he steered with care coming at the end of a storm carried in it a whole morality but in this more crowded and complicated world such terse phrases became less and less appropriate complex men and women of many interests and relations would not submit to so summary a judgment or if they did much that was important in them escaped the verdict and yet it was very necessary to conrad's genius with its luxuriant and romantic power to have some law by which its creations could be tried essentially such remained his creed this world of civilized and self-conscious people is based upon a few very simple ideas but where in the world of thoughts and personal relations are we to find them there are no masks in drawing-rooms the typhoon does not test the worth of politicians and business men seeking and not finding such supports the world of conrad's later period has about it an involuntary obscurity an inconclusiveness almost a disillusionment which baffles and fatigues we lay hold in the dusk only of the old nobilities and sonorities fidelity compassion honor service beautiful always but now a little wearily reiterated as if times had changed perhaps it was marlowe who was at fault his habit of mind was a trifle sedentary he had sat upon deck too long splendid in soliloquy he was less apt in the give-and-take of conversation and those moments of vision flashing and fading do not serve as well as steady lamplight to illumine the ripple of life and its long gradual years above all perhaps he did not take into account how if conrad was to create it was essential first that he should believe 
therefore though we shall make expeditions into the later books and bring back wonderful trophies large tracts of them will remain by most of us untrodden it is the earlier books youth lord jim typhoon the nigger of the narcissus that we shall read in their entirety for when the question is asked what of conrad will survive and where in the ranks of novelists we are to place him these books with their air of telling us something very old and perfectly true which had lain hidden but is now revealed will come to mind and make such questions and comparisons seem a little futile complete and still very chaste and very beautiful they rise in the memory as on these hot summer nights in their slow and stately way first one star comes out and then another end of section twenty six